two weeks ago, we were in the beginning of John chapter 14, (coughs) in which Jesus made a profound statement to his disciples. He told them that he is the way, the truth, and the life. This morning we look at a question that comes from that, from one of his particular disciples, Philip. Our text this morning is chapter 14, verses 7 through 14. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. John 14, beginning at verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Lord, we come to you this morning. And we ask that you would open up your word to us. That in your word we might see the glories of our Savior. That as we look upon the Savior, we would be comforted and encouraged. We would know, O Lord, that we need you. And that Jesus has provided a way to you. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. How can we know God? This is, it seems, a straightforward and simple question, but it is a question that mankind has had for millennia. How do we know who the Creator is? How do we know our place in the world? And how can we connect with God? This morning we see Jesus answering this question for us. Jesus reminds us that God is real, that we need him, and that Jesus has provided a way to God. 
This morning, I'd like us to see three things from our text. First, we see our need to see the Father. And then secondly, we see that Jesus brings us to the Father. Jesus shows us the Father. And then finally, we see what happens when we go to the Father. Our need to see the Father, Jesus shows us the Father. And then once that occurs, when we go to the Father, what results? Let's begin then as we look at our text. Remember the context of where we have been. Jesus has just told his disciples that he is the way, the truth, and the life. This is not generic. Jesus has something very Specific in mind. The way is the way to the Father. That's what prevents us from being troubled. You may recall that this chapter opens up where Jesus tells us, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you what I have told you, that I go to prepare a place for you. So Jesus has begun by telling us not to be troubled, but to believe in God and believe that God has a place for us. He is the way, and that way is to the Father. We can't lose sight of that. That's important because we, as people, are made with a longing for God. The theologian Augustine famously said that there is a God-shaped vacuum or hole in every man. And that God-shaped hole can only be filled by Christ. We look at the world and we wonder about our place in it. We wonder how the world began. We wonder how the world will end. And we wonder about what happens after we have died. People say to themselves, do I have a purpose in life? Is there a purpose in life? How can I be fulfilled as a person? Some people try to answer that question through wealth and through the accumulation of things. Others try to answer that question through pleasure or through power. Still others try to block out that question. Because they're not sure that they want an answer. Let me ask you. Have you sat down and thought about the ultimate things of life and existence? Life often comes to us very swift and busy. We don't have time for contemplation. Do you wonder what your purpose is? Do you wonder what gives life meaning? In our busy world... We need to stop and ask those questions. Because Jesus wants us to think about this. He provokes this entire conversation with Philip. He is the one who starts this discussion. It begins, as I've said, in verses 1 and 2. But if we look at verse 7, Jesus makes an odd statement. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. 
Now, could you imagine the disciples hearing Jesus say this? Didn't they know him? Hadn't they left everything behind and gone with him and traveled with him for three years? What does Jesus mean, do you know me? Jesus knew that he was about to leave them. And he knew that as a result, God would seem distant and far away from them. They would not have Jesus with them to bring them to God. And so we might read what Jesus says here as, you don't know me, and therefore you don't know the Father. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think actually the opposite is true. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. He's saying to them, you know me. Be confident you know the Father. And then he insists by saying, from now on, You do know him and have seen him. He gives them assurance. It's not that they didn't know Jesus, but the events that are about to happen will change their understanding. Now, I realize that we are in John 14, and there are still plenty of chapters left in John. There's probably a year's worth of sermons. But you need to remember that we are ours from Jesus' betrayal. We are a short period of time before his death on the cross, a mere few days before his resurrection, and then his ascension. Don't let where we are in the Gospel of John confuse you. This is a seminal moment in the life of the disciples. Jesus is about to depart. He knows he's going to leave them, and he wants them to be on firm footing. He wants them to have a better understanding of who he is. And he reminds them that they will get that through his death, resurrection, and ascension. Jesus is validating their need for God. Jesus is validating our need for God. And he is letting us know that he's the one who satisfies that need. Jesus is calling to you today. He tells you that he is the answer to the meaning of life. That he gives your life purpose. He shows you that you have meaning and value. Listen to him. Go to him. Philip's response to Jesus is instructive. He wants to see the Father. He understands the longing that he has. He says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. This is a fundamental need, and it's important, and it is expressed. Philip does not want this to lay in the background. He interrupts Jesus. He's almost putting on his virtual Peter. He says to Jesus, show us the Father. If we see the Father... Then we'll be content. Then we'll be satisfied. And the way John records it is very interesting. He says, it is enough for us. And interestingly, Philip uses this same word enough in John 6. It's when he's describing what's going on before the feeding of the 5,000. Philip says to Jesus, Lord, if we had 200 denarii worth of bread, it would not be enough. It would not satisfy. It would not fill these people. It would not be the end. 
And what he's saying to Jesus here is, if you show us the Father, that will satisfy us. We won't ask for anything more. We won't need anything more. That's what we need. Also notice what, what Philip wants from Jesus. He says, Lord, show us the Father. He's asking to be given a demonstration. He wants a visible, audible show. This word show specifically refers to something that can be apprehended by the senses. He's not asking for a philosophical demonstration. He wants to see, to hear, to know the Father. You know, this is what we experience oftentimes in our own lives. Someone asks us for help with something, and they don't want just to hear it, they want to see it, they want to be shown it. So, for example, in my family, whenever there is any problem with a phone, they come to me. I'm not sure how I got appointed the IT department of my family, but I have. And so, what happens is, They'll say, well, this is the problem, and I'll try to describe what you need to do. You need to click this. You need to open this. You need to do that. And inevitably, the response is, no, 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 no. Show me. I'll never remember if you just tell me. Here's my phone. Let me watch you do it. I want to see it. Now, now that's very hard when your daughter's off at college. But that's what I do. And we, that's what we want, isn't it? We want to see something before our eyes. That makes it real to us. It helps us to remember it. That's what's in Philip's intention here. Now, he's probably thinking in Old Testament terms. You know, Moses asked God if he could see his glory. And so when he was on Mount Sinai, you may recall, in Exodus 33, God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and went by Moses and he showed him his back parts. So that he would not be consumed. Or he may be thinking of Elijah the prophet. Who after battling the priests of Baal on Mount Carmel. And being driven off by Ahab and Jezebel. Was on the mountain and he said to God. I need to see you Lord. I'm in despair. And there was a rushing wind. And there was a storm. But God wasn't in either of those. But there was a small still voice. And God was in that. It's understandable that we want a tangible sense of God. We want to know God is with us. That God is for us. We want a sense of closeness to him. We want to be reassured. Just show yourself, God, we say. Take away my doubts. Help me to know you and to trust you. If we're honest... We see ourselves in Philip. But the second thing that we see is Jesus' response. Jesus shows us the Father. His response is instructive not only for Philip, but for us. Jesus doesn't say, you know, you have seen the Father in this. You have seen the Father in that. He doesn't say, don't worry about seeing the Father. It's not that important. Instead, he says in verse 9, Have I been with you so long, 
and you still do not know me, Philip? Now this is remarkable. Jesus directs Philip to himself. Philip has asked to see the Father, and Jesus' response is, Do you not know me? Now wait a minute. Philip's asking about the Father, not Jesus. But Jesus answers, Haven't you seen me? Don't you know me? Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He is explicitly telling us that he and the Father are one. To see Jesus is to see the Father. It's not like seeing the Father. It's not being reminded of the Father. It is seeing the Father. It's not like a family resemblance. We've all had that, haven't we? Where you see children and you look and you say, well, she's got her eyes. He's got his nose. They look like the spitting image of their father when they were that age. Right? That's not the picture that we get here. This is not a family resemblance. It's more than a perception. It's more than a visible show. As Jesus presses the point home, it is not just that Jesus gives us a physical glimpse of the Father. And of course that should be the case. Because the Father doesn't have a body like Jesus. A body is not essential to God. Jesus took on flesh for a purpose. Jesus uses a word here with Philip for seeing that's very instructive. He says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now, there are several different words for seeing. You know this even in English. You can see something. You can look at something. You can glance at something. You can get a glimpse of something. And they all have a variety of shade of meaning. So it is in the Greek. And this word, this word for seeing, means to perceive and understand. There are other Greek words for seeing that have to do with vision. Now, I know the Greeks wouldn't have put it in this terms, but there is a Greek word, a different word, for to put your eyes upon something and the reflection of light come into your eyes and cast upon your retina. That kind of most basic seeing. It's not this word here. Jesus is saying, if you see and understand me, you will see and understand the Father. You will know the Father because you know me. It means that to see Jesus is to see and understand who he is and therefore to see and understand the Father. And again here, Jesus shows us that he is the only way to God. No one can understand the Father. No one can really see the Father except by Jesus. Philosophy is not enough. Other religions are not enough. Vague hope is not enough. If you really want to know God, you have to go to Jesus. We see this over and over again in the gospel, don't we? People want to pretend that Jesus is vague in the knowledge of God and that there are many ways to God and you can find your way to God. Jesus is saying, I'm the only way and you can't even know who God is unless you know me. That should affect Every aspect of our lives. 
Don't waste your time on other pursuits. Believe in Jesus. And Jesus tells us why this is the case in verse 10. He says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So once again, Jesus is teaching us the Trinity. It's not just that Jesus is like the Father or that he's close to the Father. He and the Father are one. The Father is in him and he is in the Father. Now, exactly what does that mean? As your pastor, I tell you, I don't know fully. I can't understand or plumb the depths of the Trinity. But I can tell you that Jesus is saying very clearly that there is a unity of the Father and of the Son. Even the way he says it is instructive. We might have expected Jesus to say, the Father is in me. And we might analogize to the way the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit indwelling the Christian. But do you see that's not what Jesus says. He says, I am in the Father. And the Father is in me. It's very clear that Jesus is clearly claiming to be God. To be equal in power and glory, if we can use the confessions phrase. This is how we learn about who the Father is. We go to Jesus. It's a comforting truth. It means I can know the Father because I look to Jesus and I see the Father. And then Jesus gives us a practical expression of that unity. He wants Philip to see the unity of the Father and the Son. So he says, all that you've heard from me over these years. That was from the Father. These words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Now, think about how easy that would be for Philip to grasp. He would remember the teachings of Jesus. He would remember the encouragement from Jesus. He would remember the commands of Jesus. And now Jesus is saying... That was not just my own authority, but the Father was speaking. That was his work. Now, do not hear Jesus saying that he has no authority. This is not Jesus speaking like I would speak. Pastors speak from the word of God. The authority that I have as I speak does not come from me. It comes from the Word of God. It is to be tested by the Word of God. My task as a minister of the Gospel is to bring you to the Word of God. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying that His authority and the Father's authority are one. Notice verse 11. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of of the works themselves. Jesus is in the Father just as the Father is in Him. And this is why Jesus did the works that He did. 
Think about all the ways that Jesus showed that He is God. He showed it in His power over creation by stilling the storm. He showed it in His power over sickness by healing the leper and the lame man and the blind man. He showed it in His power over death itself by raising Lazarus. He did these works not just to bring relief to those who were suffering, but to validate His claim to be the Savior, to be God in the flesh. Jesus is not just a messenger of God. He is God. He speaks with the authority of the Father. The Father is in Him, and He is in the Father, and His works prove that. Well, the third thing that we see is Jesus tells us what happens when we go to the Father by Him. And the first thing that He says in verse 13, or excuse me, verse 12, is that we do greater works. Truly, truly, I say to you. Now, you remember, whenever Jesus says, truly, truly, that's a listen up, folks, moment. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Now, Jesus is doing this intentionally. He knows his disciples would have been discouraged. He has just told them that he's leaving them. They're going to be wondering about what they'll do when Jesus is gone. And so he encourages them and us, this word is written to us as well, by saying all who believe in him will do his works and even greater works. Now, what does this mean? What are the works? There are some who think this refers to Jesus' miracles. And that in the New Testament era, we will do greater miracles than Jesus ever did. And that's what it means to be a faithful Christian. To be able to work wonders and miracles. But that, that doesn't make sense. Because you see, Jesus doesn't qualify... Who will do these works, these greater works? Do you see that? Whoever believes. That's John 3.16 kind of language. Everyone who believes will do these works. And so when those who think it is part and parcel of the New Testament era to, for Christians to work wonders and miracles greater than Jesus, they have to face a dilemma. Why doesn't everyone do that? And their answer often is, well, you see... You have to be really faith-filled. You have to have a whole lot of big faith to do that. Now, brothers and sisters, call me simple, but do you find whole lot of and big in that verse? I don't see it. I see whoever believes does. And so if it meant miracles, that means we're all doing miracles all the time. Greater miracles than Jesus did. And that's another problem. What miracle greater than Jesus did would we do? Raising someone from the dead? What's greater than that? Rising from the dead? What's greater than that? Feeding the 5,000? What's greater than that? No, I don't think that's what Jesus means. We fall into that trap because 
we tend to think a work is greater if it's bigger, more visible, more spectacular. Now, here in Katy, we don't always face the greater temptation, but in this instance you do. Because you're in Texas. And everything's bigger in Texas, right? The Sam Houston statue is bigger in Texas. I found out in my research this week that the biggest flag in the country is found in Texas. I found out that the Texas state capitol is bigger than any other state capitol. It's actually bigger than the U.S. capitol. You know, when I go out, I want to get me a steak. I want to get me a Texas steak. I want a steak as big as my head. Everything's bigger in Texas. But you see, that's not what Jesus means here. It's not bigger, better, more showy works. And we notice this because look at the end of verse 12. Whoever believes will do these works because I am going to the Father. Now, you need to put your thinking cap on here because we're not going to get to this part of John for a bit. But why does Jesus go to the Father? What does Jesus say will happen when he goes to the Father? Why is it necessary that he goes to the Father? It's so that he will send the Spirit. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I will go to the Father and I will send the Spirit and you will do greater works than I do. So what Jesus is referring to is not miracles. You're not bigger and better than Jesus. What he's saying is, the work of the gospel going forward by the power of the Holy Spirit who is united to Christ and united to the Father, just as the Father is in the Son, the Spirit is in the Son, and the Son is in the Spirit, the great triune God. The Spirit of God will come and the gospel will go forward in greater evidence and power. If I can put it this way, what happened on Pentecost was far more visible and greater than anything Jesus did during his ministry in terms of conversions. If you don't believe me, you need to come tonight because Kurt's going to tell you all about Pentecost and how marvelous it was and the thousands that were saved. And if you think about how the church has gone and how the millions and millions and tens of millions and hundreds of millions have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ through the church, through, the, through God himself, God the Holy Spirit, the works that have been done here on earth are of the same sort that Jesus did, preaching the gospel, preaching the kingdom, but greater. Their effect is greater by design. Not because of our worth, but because of design. Jesus then concludes with an encouragement to us. There's something else that happens when we go to God by Jesus. He says in verse 13, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now this reminds us of our need for God. And Jesus has told us that we see the Father when we see Him. And that we, when we believe in Jesus, we are changed. And another consequence of this change is that our prayers are answered. And it makes perfect sense for Jesus to tell us this. 
Because we pray to the Father. And Jesus has told us that he's the only way to the Father. More than that, that the Father's works are his works. And that he and the Father are one. So we should have every confidence when we go to the Father in the name of Christ. But what does it mean to get anything? Or whatever we ask if we pray. Does that mean, Jesus, if I pray right now for a big chocolate cake, it's going to show up? Jesus, you said whatever, anything. I know my wife doesn't want me to eat the big cake, but I want the cake. Jesus, bring me a cake. Is this some kind of secret code, a cheat code to get what we need or what we want from God? We just say, in Jesus' name, and voila, there it is. No, I think the key phrase is in my name. It means prayer is to be in line with all that Jesus' name stands for. What we ask for needs to be in accordance with who Jesus is and what Jesus has said and what the word of God gives to us. Our prayers must proceed from faith in Christ, for the glory of Christ, according to the word of Christ. And we don't need to guess at that. We have a Bible. We know the word of Christ. We know the will of Christ. We know the word of God. We know the will of God. So why does Jesus give us this assurance here? He knows that part of the reason... We want to see the Father is to be comforted. And we don't just want to see the Father. We want to be heard by the Father. Seeing the Father means having a relationship with the Father. Jesus is telling us that he gives us that relationship because of who he is. And that relationship has blessings. We can go to the Father. We are heard by the Father. And when we go to the Father by Jesus, our prayers are heard. Jesus has provoked an important question in our text today. Philip's question is central to your life and mine. We need God. We need to see God. And Jesus is telling you that you can see God. You can see God through Jesus. Jesus came to teach us about God and to show us the love of God. He took on flesh and walked this earth so that we would know God and know his love for us. Will you ignore that love? Will you look elsewhere for satisfaction and for hope? Jesus is calling you to himself now. By his word. And he's calling you to the Father. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be brought to God. Let's pray.